As John and Isabel did earlier, let me just uh, welcome you again to the Ridge this morning. If you're a guest with us, it's really good to have you here this morning. And um, just remind you, there's a little card there in the back of the chair in front of you if you want to take that out at some point. Um, here in the next few minutes, at our close of our time today, we will remember communion together. And then you can come and, and take that uh, card and drop it in the plate up here or in the back. We'd love for you to do that. We simply want to be neighborly back to you and tell you thank you for, for joining us this morning. Um, this morning, what I would love to do is, is simply um, talk to you about uh, the Father's heart, what the Father's heart is uh, for, for you and for I, uh, what God desires for us. It, it, it's his heart beat for you and I this morning. And to do that, I want us to look at this, this one sentence that David just read, at least in one translation it's one sentence, and some it may be two sentences, but I want us just to look at this this morning and really dive a little deeper this morning than we did last week. Last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through, through 12, and, and really looked at, that we, at the idea that we are the church, and, and what does that mean though? It, having that as our identity as this people who are a royal priesthood and that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices in the world as God's household. What does that look like in the world? And so we kind of looked at that and defined who we are this morning. And then today what I'd love to do is really harp on this idea of why we exist in the world. And at the heartbeat of this this morning, this message is really the Father's heart. This is his heart for us. It's why he created us. It's why he gives us each new day. It's for this very reason. And so this morning, if we could, just David read it for us this morning, but I would love for us just to repeat it again uh, there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. The writer says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for you once were not a people but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. There's four things I want us to see this morning in this text about the Father's heart. The first thing is this. That it is God's desire, it's his heart to call people out of darkness into marvelous light. That, that's his heartbeat. That's what he so desires. It is the Father's heart that all men, all women, all people of all tribes, tongues, and nations would worship him. That they would honor him, that they would praise him, that they would glorify him. But in our world, that is not the case. That is not the case. In fact, if you just want to take our county that, that we live in, let's say there's 800,000 people in Denton County this morning. Maybe, maybe 80,000 worship Jesus. Maybe 80,000. Maybe. You do the math, that's, that's 10%. Maybe 10% worship the name of Jesus Christ. And we're in the Bible Belt, right? We're in the heart of the Bible Belt this morning. 
So there are many people in darkness in our county this morning, in our cities, our towns, our communities. And it is the Father's heart that they would come into the marvelous light. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, Paul says to his dear brother, a young pastor in the ministry, he says, God our Savior desires that all men would be saved and that they would come to the knowledge, the recognition, the understanding of the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. That's God's heartbeat. That's his, his heart this morning. But there are those in darkness. And so to be in darkness means that you do not understand the truth of the gospel. You don't understand that, that God sent Jesus to die for you so that we would not um, perish, but instead we would be saved from the wrath of God. We all deserve that. In fact, the Bible says we've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God, and therefore we are all due the wages of sin, which is death, and our hearts are wicked. And so Jesus, by coming to the world gave up his life for us. He laid down his life so that our sins could be forgiven instead of having death as our destiny forever and perishing. Instead, we could have eternal life through him. But people are blinded to that in darkness to that truth. People are also in darkness in the fact that they do not see, according to this text, the excellencies of Christ. You see that at the end of verse Nine, those who are the church were to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. What that means is those in darkness do not see the excellencies of Christ. They're blinded to the goodness. They're blinded to the grace. They're blinded to the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so what do they do instead of accepting the most excellent thing? They settle for lesser things in this world. That's what those in darkness do. They don't pursue that which is excellent which is Christ himself. Some examples of this I want us to think about in John chapter 11. Do you remember a good friend of Jesus? Uh, his name was Lazarus, and he died. And he'd been in the tomb for four days, and he's in the tomb, and he's in darkness, right? I mean, he's dead. I mean, that's a, just a good example of what that darkness may look like, right? It, it's, it's you're dead. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus calls him out of the tomb. He says, Lazarus, you come out of that tomb. And he was unbound and he was alive. And that's what those in darkness need. They need the call of Jesus to come from darkness into marvelous light. Because what does that do? That creates life. It creates life, eternal life. That's why John 3.3, 3, it says that we must be born again. If we want to see the kingdom of God, be a part of the kingdom of God, we must be born again. We must experience a second birth. We all have experienced the natural uh, first birth this morning, but we all must experience the second birth to be born again, spiritual life. And it says in 1 Peter 1.3 that God causes that to happen. He causes us to be born again. And that's what happens to a lady in Acts 16, verse 14. Her name is Lydia. You remember this text, a beautiful text, the Apostle Paul, Luke, others on this journey, and they're ministering to these, and one of the ones present this day is Lydia. And it says that as Paul was speaking about Jesus, that she was listening. She was listening to the word of God, 
And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul was speaking about. She came from darkness into marvelous light. And that's what God desires. That all people would go from being blinded to the excellencies of Christ to now seeing them. And as we have read just here, this idea of being born again, that God causes it. That God opened her heart. It tells us in verse 10 that this is all by what? The mercy of God this morning. 1 Peter 2.10, you were once not a people, but now you're God's people. You once did not receive the mercy of God, but now you have received the mercy of God. This is all by the activity of God that God is doing to take people out of darkness into marvelous light. No merit of our own, nothing that we do, no goodness on our own. We can't earn it, but it's by God's calling. God calls He calls us, do you hear that this morning, out of darkness into marvelous light. And that's God's heart. That's the Father's heart. So as we just get out of the gates this morning, I want you to hear that. It is God's heart that 800,000 people in this county would come out of the darkness. That's his heart this morning. And his heart is so big that he wants the world. He wants the darkness of this world the people who are blinded, to come out of the darkness. In Psalm 107, it tells us this about those in darkness. It says, there were those who dwelt in darkness. It's not on the screen, but it's verse 10 and 11. It says, there were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and in chains. Why? Because they had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel, the authority of God most high, Psalm 107, 10 and 11. That's what those who are in darkness have done, are doing. They spurn the authority of God. They don't obey God's word. They don't turn to him. So they're in darkness, and so they're in desperate need of God calling them by his mercy to marvelous light. That's his heart, is that they would come into the marvelous light. And if you're here this morning, and if you have never experienced the mercy and the grace of God's love this morning, that's God's heart for you. Man, he so loves you and desires for you to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, that you would believe in Christ this morning and come out of darkness into marvelous light. That's his heartbeat. And to those that do come from that darkness to light, he gives you a new identity. We saw this last week kind of on a bigger scale through uh, this chapter. But I want us to hear this this morning just in this verse 9. He tells us our new identity. What is this new identity of those who've experienced this? Well, look at the first two words of verse 9 here in 1 Peter 2. It says, but you. Those two words, but you. That word but is a, is a word of contrast and he's contrasting who he's about to talk with, with about who he just talked about. And he just talked about those in verse 7 and 6 and 8. He talked about those who believed that they are not going to be disappointed in Jesus Christ, their cornerstone. But he also talked about those who did not believe, those in darkness. And what did they do? They stumbled over Jesus Christ. Instead of being that cornerstone, to their life and holding everything together, they stumble over him. They reject him 
as the cornerstone of their life. And so then he says, but you, you. So who's the you? There's a lot of them in verse 9 and 10. A lot of places where he says you, 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 you. So it's a very personal letter. But you. And so who is you? Who is you? I want you to go back and look at verse 1 of this letter, the very letter that we're in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1 because he tells us who you is, <laughs> who they are. He says this. It's Peter. He's writing to those, it says, who reside as aliens, okay? Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bethania, who are chosen, who are chosen. They, another, some translations, they call these the elect. And so they are aliens scattered in these, these places throughout this region. Um, who are they? They're people who, who don't reside in what they would call home. They're under the authority, the rule of an empire that doesn't believe in God. They're under the reign and the authority of an empire who uh, rejects Jesus Christ. They're under the empire which actually persecutes them as believers in Christ. And there's people who come after them and for their faith. And so they're in a dark empire, these people that Peter is writing to, but he calls them chosen. Can you imagine being in that condition where you couldn't go to church maybe in a setting like this? You couldn't be open about your faith? If you were, you were to risk your life, your family's life, you risk all you had. And that's the conditions they lived in. They suffered. They were persecuted. And they felt like probably nobodies at times. Like, God, why are you taking us through this? Why are we here? We, we trusted in you. We, we followed your son. And, and now we're in this situation. And they probably felt at times they were nobodies. But I love what Peter does in this letter. He says, no, definitely you are somebody. And he says in this first verse, he says, you are chosen. You are chosen. And if you look in at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you're a chosen race. He says to them, you are chosen. You are somebody. And I want you to hear these words, Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. This is what Peter was telling them. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than other, any other people that the Lord, I love this phrase, set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeem you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so what is Peter telling these people? Just like God did to the Israelites. God has set his love on you. He loves you. He has chosen you. He has brought you out of slavery. Slavery. He has redeemed you to make him your make you his people. But he loves these people. And he tells them that right here. 
but you. And so look again at verse 9 in chapter 2. Who are these people? He tells them, you are this. And we saw this a little bit last week, but I just want to touch on it again. He says, you're a chosen race. You're a chosen race. In our world, there are ultimately two races, right? This is not to reject or overlook, right? Or appreciate all the races and the beauty of ethnicity in the world. God created that, you bet. But ultimately, there's two races. According to the Bible, there is the natural, right? Those who simply have just experienced the first birth, right? But the Bible says they're in Adam, the first Adam. But then there's the second race that the Bible speaks of, and it's this this chosen race. Those who have experienced the second birth. They've been born again. They're in the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, Paul says. And so he tells these people, you are a chosen race. That's who the church church is. You're a chosen race. Those who have come out of darkness into marvelous light, you are a chosen race. You are next, a royal priesthood, meaning you have been chosen to serve the king of the universe. You have this kingly blood in you. You were chosen to be the royal household the royal family of God. That's what you were chosen for. Everyone in here who has come from darkness into marvelous light, you have access to God to praise and worship him for priestly service. And we'll see what that means in just a bit, what that looks like in this world. But not only that, you're a holy nation. You're a people who is to pursue holiness and purity just as God is holy. You're set apart for the purposes of God in this world. Even though the empire, the world pushes us this way or says to do this or whatever it may be, the ways of the world, you are to be a holy nation. And then he says in verse 10, or excuse me, in verse 9, the last one, he says, you are a people for God's own possession. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. And therefore, that makes us what he just said, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is our identity, and our identity also leads to something else. It it leads to our destiny. It leads to our destiny. And I want you to hear how this works this morning. Look look at Revelation. It's going to be on the screen. The book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. And I want you just to, to hear these words as you look at them too. It says, They sung a new song, saying this, Worthy are you to take the book, to break its sails, for you were slain. I'm talking about Jesus. And you were purchased with what? You were purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people nation. You have made them, all right, to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Does that not sound very similar to 1 Peter 2.9? It, it should, as you read it. It, it should sound very similar. But, but here's what God has done in Jesus. He has done this. He's, he purchased a people, God did, with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what God's done. He's made them his own possession. We hear that in 2.9. Not only that, it says you're a kingdom, and a priest. Doesn't that sound the same here? You are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation. That 
is our identity and it's also our destiny. It's our destiny. This is who we are and it speaks to what we will continue to be in the future when Jesus returns. This is who we will continue to be. This is what God's made us for. We see our identity. We, we see our ultimate destiny. But our identity here on this earth is not an end to itself. We don't just say, well, okay, this, this is who I am, right? And, and then just go about and live life. However, knowing that, hey, this is who I'm going to be, okay, I'll continue to be this. But what does that mean to what you and I do? What does it mean? What, why do I get up in the morning? Why do I go to work in the morning? Why do I go to school in the morning? Oh, everything I do, what, what in, what's the end to its purpose? I think about it often like this. I, I, one of the things I loved from the time I played four, I, I remember when I got my first soccer ball. Man, I, there was just something with soccer. I played other sports and basketball and baseball and stuff like that, but there was something about kicking a ball, right? And, and just having it at my feet. And then from the time I was four, literally to the time I was 19, that's, that's I mean, I, I, 24-7 I could do that. I wanted to do that. I would watch it. I'd, I'd read about it. I, I, I would just train. I'd play. Everything was about that, about that. Everything about that. But I remember when I was a senior in high school, God stirring my heart and saying, listen, okay, you, you, you've got these dreams and, and you, you want to do this. And, and God did some cool things with soccer for me. It was a, it was a blessing. But, but I just remember him rattling me my senior year and saying, okay, listen, I've given you this, right? I've given you this to this end. Soccer is not an end to itself. And, and I remember just through my senior year and through my college year, that freshman and sophomore year and playing, is his, him just continually reminding me, listen, you do these things, you, you experience these, these things here on earth, but they are not an end to themselves. And so whether it be soccer, or whether it be going to school, or whether it be whatever it is, whether it's running cross country, whether it's um, going to work in the morning, whether it's cooking a meal at home, whatever it may be, you can fill in the blank. That very thing is not an end to itself. Maybe you ever felt that in your heart where you wake up one morning and you're like, man, what, why am I, what, what am I doing? And, and, and what is my purpose? I mean, we, we may be doing a lot of different things. There is an end to who God has made us to be. And it's not just to do things, but there's a purpose. There is an underlining purpose as the church to our identity. And he tells us right here in verse 9. He says, you, you people who are not in your home, your homeland, he's talking to the church, the United States, it's not our homeland, right? We, we will one day be in new heavens and new earth. That's our destiny, right? We'll be with Christ. 
We read that, Revelation 5, 9, eventually, Revelation 20, 21. You'll, you'll read it, and you can see it. That's what's coming. And so he says, you are this, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you're God's own possession, so that, there's a purpose cause, so that you may proclaim, proclaim <laughs> the excellencies of him. That's your purpose to everything you do. God made us who we are so we can make him know, make known who he is in the world. He, he gave us our identity so we can make his identity known in the world. He made us who we are in this world to show the world who he is, to make much of him. So why do we exist? To proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. That's why. How do we do that? Do we do it in word and we do it in deed? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it tells us simply this, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an explanation to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you and do that with gentleness and reverence. It also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, and as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. So here's the deal. God wants us to proclaim, both in word and deed, the excellencies of Jesus Christ. But too often, what do we do? We settle for less than excellent things to talk about and proclaim. Don't we? Don't we? The psalmist says in Psalm 63, verse three, he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Guys, we have come face to face in knowing Jesus Christ with that which is better than anything else in this world. And we're to proclaim that. Ephesians 1, four through six. God's chosen us, Paul says. He also tells us, he made us holy. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To what? To the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what you and I are to be about. We're to proclaim the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ that we have experienced ourselves. We're to praise the glory of his grace. That's why you exist. That's why I exist as the church. And that's what, as royal priests, we're to do. We're to make the glories of the king known. And says John Piper says, I love this quote. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We talk about excellent things. And who is that? That is Jesus. And that's what we're to proclaim as royal priests. And so here's what I'm gonna do this morning is I wanna just give you five things to think about. Is when we think about the Father's heart, this is God's heart. And so how do I respond as a royal priest with this identity, with this clear purpose of what I am to do with my days? What does that mean? I think the first and foremost is this, that you abide in Jesus Christ. 
And so what does abiding mean? For me, abiding simply means this, that, that I have this relationship with him that is continual. It's this ongoing relationship that involves rapid obedience. And so John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And so his daily relationship is I'm abiding, remaining, leaning, trusting, continuing to, to hold dear to Christ as all that he is, as the most excellent thing, that which is better than anything in this world. As I have that relationship, I'm rapidly obeying his word, his commands throughout the day. That's what each day looks like. I'm abiding in Jesus. That's key. That's crucial. That relationship is significant. As I'm abiding in his words and his commands, it's so crucial. I abide in Christ. What's my response as a royal priest to this call? The second thing, and this is the thing that we all just, I mean, we will love this. We will write this down and we will circle it and we will go home and say, man, that was the greatest thing. I'm glad he said that. I want to go home and do that right now, right? Second thing, we must die, all right? We must die. (laughs) We must die. All right. So what is that? What what does that mean? Let me read this verse to you. John 12. There's two of them, 24 through 25. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. So what what does that mean? As we pursue the things of Christ instead of the things of this world, as we do that, we're going to have to die to things so that we would bear fruit so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. There are things we're going to have to die to. You can fill in the blank. I can fill in the blank what those things are. Selfish desires. It may be sin. It may be fear of proclaiming. Being like, man, I... Man, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I do not like, I struggle with talking with people. I'm not talking about myself, but you might be saying, I struggle with talking to people, period. So the fear of proclaiming about this, this it's tough for me. I'm, I'm fearful about it. That is just a real and honest thing. That's just real. And, and that may be where you are. You, you may struggle with talking to people about big and weighty things. And that may just, you, you may lean toward the shy side, the timid side. And it's real. You may struggle with that. Here's where I struggle with sometimes. I'll just be real frank with you on this. Because I can talk to anybody, right? I can talk to a wall. I will say this, though. As I've gotten older, okay? I didn't say old, but as I've gotten older, okay? I've learned. You, some of you have taught me well. As I'm getting older, though, um, I found that I'm also okay with not talking to people because I, I get older, 
Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. Um, but I still can't talk. So here's the deal. There are also those days where I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Okay? I just don't want to. There's sometimes things in the role of pastorate where it's like, you know what, I really don't want to do that. It's just honest. But we've got to die to those things. We've got, we got to die to our wants and desires. Um, we've got to die to the calendar, right? And that, I think that's the big thing. With, with If we were all honest, that's, that's probably on the list for some of us. We've we got to die to things on the calendar. You can fill in the blank. Here, here's the deal. If we're going to be who God wants us to be in the world, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, we must die. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I die daily, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He made that a practice. <laughs> I envisioned it like this with Paul, that he woke up, he thought about Christ, he thought about himself, and he realized, okay, Christ, I want to live for you, and I'm going to die to the things that I want to do today, and I'm going to pursue what you want me to pursue, and I'm going to proclaim. He, he died daily. The third thing is, we abide, we die. The third thing is, is God-centered prayer. Prayer. If we're going to do the things that are on the Father's heart, we've got to pray about the things that are on the Father's heart. Matthew 6, 9 through 11 says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise and glory be to your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I'm praying your name be glorified. Your kingdom be expanded. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm praying that because I want to live that. I'm praying what's on your heart because I want to live what's on your heart. As if I'll mention this, this Wednesday, 7 to 8, if you can join us, we'd love to pray together from 7 to 8 this Wednesday about the things in the Father's heart. But we must be faithful to pray. The fourth thing is this. You've got to be trained, right? You've got to be trained. Jesus did that with his disciples. He called them to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other most parts of the world. He called them to be witnesses, but he didn't just throw them out there, right? He equipped them. He trained them. That's what a discipler does, and someone who's being discipled, they, they get trained, they get equipped. And so as the church, we've got to be equipped. Ephesians 4 tells us this, 11 through 12, this is what God has done for the church. He has gifted the church these. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping, for the training of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. I love that language because similar to chapter 2. Remember, Christ is the living stone and we're living stones and he's building a building. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ and he's building a building, right? And so as that building, the household that Jesus is building, we've got to be equipped to be proclaimers, to be disciples. We've got to be equipped. We've got to be trained. Um, we, we like teaching here. I, I like teaching. And, and one of our, you know, our, our, our heartbeat 
is to be disciples and make disciples. To be one, to make one. And we could teach that all day long, but we've got to train it. We've got to train it. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. And so I'm going to do this March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd. So I'll give you two months to die to your calendar, all right? <laughs> March 23rd, 9 to 3. That's six hours. If you want to come to breakfast at 8.30 with coffee, and pastries, and all that kind of stuff, you can add another 30 minutes. Um, 9 o'clock to 3. Lunch will be included to entice you. Just kidding. 9 to 3. We're going to invite you to come to a training. And we're, we're going to not just teach you. I will promise you this. We're not going to teach you. There will be a little bit of teaching. But we're going to train you. We're training you. To train you to be proclaimers, to, to train you to go and declare the excellencies of Christ. What's, what we're going to do also on that day is, 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 is training is going to include doing. And so we will go out, and what we are trained on, we will practice as part of that nine to three as well. Okay? And so that's why number one and two have to happen right? Abide and die. Because if you're like me and you're like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm not always like that. I'm just, just really selling it here. <laughs> but there are times. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go do this. I'd rather go study for a sermon, right? Um, or you're like, dude, so I got to go out. I'm going to go out with some people and, and I'm going to maybe knock on a door and, and like tell some, yeah, so some of us in here, dude, we get like so fearful, and then you're like, oh, dude, you're giving me two months to think about this? Oh, dude, no. And it's real. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek with that, but I know it's real for some. I know it's real. And so that's why number two is so crucial, so crucial, because we all have things we've got to die to. But we want you to come that day. We want you to come that day, and we can give you enough advance notice of it. We'd love for you to come. The four, fifth thing is simply this, is proclaim, right? It, it, what that means is just do it. You got, you got to do it. <laughs> it's who you are. It's what you do. It, it's, it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. And guys, can I go back to that number? 800,000 in Denton County. What that means is, man, 10% of those people are in darkness this morning. And that's just in one county. Collin County. There's a million people. And, and, and we go on and on and on from there. But that's just reality. And so we have to be proclaimers of the excellencies of Jesus. We gotta do it. And so this morning, if you're here, I want you to hear that Jesus came and he died for you. He laid down his life for us so that he could call us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we could have a relationship with him, that we could know what God intended for us to have from the very beginning. He came to redeem what's been lost. He's come to take us who are sinners, who are far from him, 
and to make things new through Jesus Christ if we would believe, if we would trust in him for eternal life. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to deserve it or earn it. The Bible says it's by grace through faith that you are saved. And so what must we do? We simply must have faith. We simply must believe. That's our response to the gospel. And so this morning, if you're here, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Come out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Let's pray.